Welcome back to episode two of Dr. Dave on Call. I'm your host, Dr. Dave. Thanks for joining me again for our second episode in the video podcast series. Today, we're going to be talking more about COVID-19. We've had a lot of questions and feedback and concerns uh, about COVID-19 as we are um, locked into this really difficult fight um, uh, combating this new coronavirus. So let's talk a little bit more in detail about COVID-19, touching upon some of the things that we reviewed in episode one uh, about COVID-19 and its origins and, um, you know, how the pandemic has started and then um, how it's developing over time and through the world too as well. Um, In addition to everybody who is... um, you know, at home right now, um, sheltering in. Um, we hope that you're staying safe and healthy and that um, hopefully this uh, particular podcast can help out to just review um, things that will keep us safe. First, I want to touch on um, a great question somebody had brought up about COVID-19 and, and why is it so dangerous? I think we need to step back to... Um, you know, one of the points in episode one that we talked about and the fact that this COVID-19 virus is a novel coronavirus. And what we mean by novel is that um, we've never seen this specific virus on Earth before in the history of man that we know of um, in terms of it infecting humans. And why is that, why is that important? Well, firstly, our immune systems have not seen COVID-19. And why is that important? Well, we touched upon the fact that the immune system is basically your body armor. It helps protect you from the elements and different bacterias and viruses. And how it does that is that once we, for example, see a virus, we are able to produce millions and billions of wonderful cells called antibodies. And these antibodies help trigger Uh, your immune system, that if we are in contact with a virus, we're able to fight that virus. Unfortunately, because the COVID-19 virus is a novel virus that our immune system has never seen, we haven't had the chance to develop these antibodies to fight it off so that we can actually have a robust immune response to help us kill the virus. So that's why it's, it's specifically dangerous is because no human being on earth has had the ability to make antibodies to this virus. And because of that, we're getting sick so easily. So that's going to be really important in terms of figuring out um, a treatment for this, specifically a vaccine treatment and why it takes time to do that. We need to figure out how the virus works We need to figure out whether we're going to use different proteins um, to to utilize or not use proteins in terms of making a vaccine. So in terms of vaccines, that's going to take um, not only people within the basic science community, but also a partnership between private and public entities, getting the the vaccine, excuse me, um, uh, tracked into... um, 
uh, animal models and then into human trials. So there's a process to doing that, and that takes time. And how much time is, uh, is a real big question. So what we've seen from different uh, scientists and different companies is that, you know, they're thinking more along the lines of about a year um, before we can actually develop a, a vaccine safely to give to people. And then on top of that, we have to upscale this and, and create a lot of vaccine um, so that we can distribute it on a large scale um, deployment method. So that's going to take some time, and they're thinking at, at, at a minimum 12 months, it could be closer to 18 months. So we're looking at basically, you know, the middle of 2021 before we have a vaccine. So that's why this is so dangerous right now. We don't have um, medications, too, as well, to treat this. Um, you know, for example, if this was, you know, some sort of virus that we've seen before that we had a vaccine for and also a medicine for if patients get sick with COVID-19 we could have given them these sort of treatments but we don't have a medication to help treat that that's exactly what's going on now we're trying to fast track medications in drug trials um, with human beings to figure out if um, there are some medicines that have been used to treat other diseases um, could be potentially used to treat COVID-19 in patients. So that's what's going on right now. But again, we need to safely um, you know, administer these medications so that the risks don't outweigh the benefits of, of, of treating patients. So that's what's being assessed right now. And that's going to, again, take some time. It's going to take at least you know, months, maybe even longer, to figure out what medications could potentially uh, treat COVID-19. So that's another reason why COVID-19 is so dangerous. And then also, more specifically, we talked about how easily spread COVID-19 is. So this particular coronavirus really spreads very easily through large droplets, specifically respiratory droplets. So when patients cough, when patients sneeze, um, you know, or, or have any sort of, you know, congestion or snot that comes out. You know, these are really um, easy ways where the coronavirus, COVID-19, exits the body of an infected person and can land on either people when we're in close contact or even on surfaces that we really touch quite a bit, whether it be our phones or light switches or, you know, um, computer screens or keyboards or where we're driving. and So all of these sort of easily, uh, most frequently touched surfaces could be a, a, a potential place where we could in fact catch the coronavirus. And again, how often we touch our face or eyes or nose or mouth or even our food, um, you know, that provides an environment and a, a transmission um, vehicle for us to actually ingest or, excuse me, in, or inhale the, the, the COVID-19 um, virus and us to get sick. So that's, that's a big way of why coronavirus spreads so easily, similar to like a common cold. It, it really lies in our upper airway, in our nose, in our mouth, 
And so when it's easily transmittable like that, we need to take really specific precautions on how to um, combat this, this, this virus. So let's first talk about the, the way that we can really kill the coronavirus on our own um, on our own way of doing it at home in a simplistic way. And that's hand hygiene, good hand hygiene. And what do we mean by that? Well, we mean that we have to find a way to kill the virus so that it doesn't enter our bodies. And the best way to do that is to wash our hands. So let's talk about how the proper way of washing your hands is. So we have soaps. Soaps are really one of the best ways that we can kill viruses, specifically envelope viruses. Now, envelope viruses are viruses that have um, a layer that surrounds them, that protects the virus, actually. And so the best way to kill these viruses are to strip that, that layer that's protecting the virus, okay? And in COVID-19, it's the same, it's the same thought process, right? So COVID-19, as we've discussed in episode one, is surrounded by, um, you know, an enveloped uh, layer. And we talked about the, um, the crown, corona meaning crown, and these spike proteins and how these proteins are really the way that it enters our cells. So we have to break down that, that, that layer. And so how do we do that? Well, soap is very interesting. Soap has this unique molecular properties where it can actually penetrate that outer layer of coronavirus and essentially start to poke these little holes in it and break down that layer. And what happens is when it breaks it down, the virus dies. And all of that contents of inside that virus that we talked about just comes spewing out. So how do we do that? Well, we know that it takes a specific amount of time for us to be rubbing our hands with soap around the surface areas of our hands and our fingernails and, you know, on top of our hands. And so to do that, it doesn't, it doesn't happen if you do it within three seconds or five seconds or 10 seconds. It actually happens after you wash your hands around 20 seconds or greater is really what the data shows is that that adequately um, getting all over the surface area of your hands so that we can feel confident that we have we have killed or broken down all of the coronavirus on our hands um, by the soap. So 20 seconds for washing your hands. And I, and I know we're spending some time on just the simplistic nature of washing your hands, but if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. So think about coronavirus as um, a virus that has glue on it, and the glue is sticking to our hands, okay? So the coronavirus has like this layer of glue and loves to just stick to our hands. And we need to figure out a way to, to essentially get that coronavirus off of our skin, okay? Because the skin is basically a really good uh, platform for coronavirus to stick to, okay? So the soap, what happens is that it has this ability to come in with 
its um, unique molecular structure and latches on to coronavirus in a way that just pokes a hole in it. And what happens is that when it pokes a hole in it, the coronavirus breaks down and all of the contents spread out. But what also happens too is that the soap forms this little, um, this little sort of ball or a bubble almost. And what it does is that it forms this bubble of the soaps, what you see, right? You know, when you're actually uh, making a lather of soap. And what you're seeing is that these bubbles are actually washing away the coronavirus as it's broken down because these bubbles are surrounding the viral contents. So again, when we wash for only three to five seconds, are we really making a big lather of soap? No, not as much. And that's the biggest key here. We need to make bubbles. These bubbles are very important at washing away the virus. So again, one of our biggest defenses for getting rid and killing coronavirus on ourselves is washing our hands. And that's one of the biggest, if you look back in time, good hand hygiene is one of the single greatest things to protect us from illness is really good hand hygiene. And that really means washing your hands frequently. So if you go outside and you play with different sort of, um, you know, if you're playing sports or you're taking out the garbage or anything that you're doing outside, before, we before you go on to your next activity, especially if you're going to eat food or drink a cup of coffee or anything near your mouth or your nose, um, you know, it's worthwhile to wash your hands, obviously. So let's talk about hand sanitizers because hand sanitizers are of great importance now. To be honest, we talked about the fear of the unknown and uh, with COVID-19 and how people are going out to the store and literally hoarding hand sanitizer to the point where in commercial distributors and grocery stores and online and there is really a lack of hand sanitizer, but people are becoming very resourceful during this time. They're, um, you know, being really, really, um, you know, having a lot of ingenuity and making hand sanitizer. And so how do people make san hand sanitizer? Well, hand sanitizer primarily is an alcohol-based product. And alcohol is very important because alcohol, again, has this property that it can actually break down um, that outer envelope of the coronavirus. And it does so in a very similar way that soap does. It pokes holes in that outer layer to the point where the virus breaks down and the, the, the contents just spill out and it dies. Again, we talked about the way coronavirus has to live is within our cells, healthy cells. It gets into our cells, it replicates, and uses our cell machinery to make new coronavirus and then goes out and infects other healthy cells. So if we can prevent coronavirus from entering our bodies, that is the best mechanism of defense that we have. So the alcohol hand sanitizer. So what it, we found in the data that you need a minimum of like 60% alcohol-based. Um, whether you have 100% alcohol-based versus 60%, the, 
they've actually found that, you know, if you're closer to about 60%, you have a little water in there and that's helpful, even more helpful to, um, kill the virus versus if you're getting closer to a hundred percent alcohol based, um, you know, sanitization, it's tough because it actually evaporates a lot quicker. So it may not be doing the best job. Now, if we're comparing soap and hand sanitizer, obviously there are a lot of times where you're just on the run and you don't have time for washing your hands. And then in addition, you just location wise, you're not near a bathroom with running water um, and a sink with soap. It's just very difficult. Uh, for example, I mean, when we're taking our little ones and we're driving around and we've played outside and then we're transporting them to the next activity, we don't have a sink and soap there and there's no bathroom nearby. So what do we do? Well, we have hand sanitizer. So hand sanitizer is, is, is very effective. The problem is, is that a lot of it has to do with both the amount of hand sanitizer you use and also how you distribute it around your hands. So for example, if you're spraying just maybe one pump of hand sanitizer on the palm of your hand and you're only rubbing it on the palms of your hand, you've missed out quite a bit of surface area to kill the virus if it's living on the COVID-19. So what about your fingertips? What about the um, other side of your hand, um, you know, on, on the on the other surfaces? So hand sanitizers, while really effective, they're, again, not as effective as lathering up your entire hands on top, the, the, the palm, um, underneath the fingernails, on top of the nails, so that you know that you're getting that huge lather and then washing it off. But it would be better to hand sanitize your hands before you eat or before you go on to the, um, you know, before you go on to your next, um, you know, behavior, whether it be eating food, drinking coffee or anything like that. So, so hand sanitizer is really effective. The only problem is, is that it's not as effective as washing your hands with soap and soap and water and lathering up for 20 seconds. While it can be excellent, I would, we would really recommend that if you did have a bathroom nearby um, with soap and running water to do that. So, so again, sanitizers, you can make these at home um, using online recipes too, if it's not available. But again, um, you know, washing hands is the most effective thing. So it's interesting. There are so many studies out there on average, how many times we touch our face and our noses and our eyes and our mouths. Um, because again, COVID-19 is a respiratory virus and that's the way that it's going to actually enter our bodies is through our nose, through our mouth and through our eyes. So we really have to be careful how we touch our faces. Um, it's really easy just to, you know, if you got a, a little runny nose to just, instead of finding a tissue, um, to just wipe your hands with your, with your, uh, you know, wipe your nose with your hands very quickly. Um, if we sneeze and a sneeze happens really quickly, um, you know, within a millisecond, we've, we've already sneezed and we, can't reach for a tissue. So how do we combat that? Well, or even a cough too, because sometimes coughs 
come unannounced. We can't predict when they're going to come. And so there are ways to do that. So obviously, firstly, if you're going to blow your nose, if you're going to cough or sneeze and you have a tissue nearby, to use the tissue, discard the tissue, and then wash your hands with soap and water for 20 seconds, minimum of 20 seconds. But if you don't have that, you know, you have other ways that you can do that. So you, you have the crease of your arm here too. So if you do have to cough or you do have to sneeze, at least you're, you're mitigating the amount of droplet spread out into the ambient air around you. So you're actually just spreading it into your, your clothes rather than the, um, the air and the, the immediate environment around you. So that's an alternative, although that's not the best, you really should try to at least implement, you know, using a, a, a tissue or a Kleenex if you can. Another way that we can stop the spread of COVID-19 is really just using common sense. And if you are feeling sick, if you have a fever of 100.4 or higher, um, or even if you're developing symptoms like a sore throat or you feel like you have a runny nose or body aches or even a cough, that you stay home and you isolate yourself, especially from not only people in the general public, right? So not going to work, um, even though everybody now has, you know, shelter in orders or they're working from home, um, but not to take public transportation, not to get on any buses or trains, um, but more so in, in this sort of in this COVID-19 pandemic environment, don't go grocery shopping. Um, don't go to the pharmacy. Don't, um, you know, go and visit at-risk populations like our elderly or, or even young children or infants. But even more so at home, if you are feeling these symptoms, it's best if you have another room that you can actually quarantine yourself from, other people in your family, you should do that. And what I mean by that is this. Let's say you have another room in your house, um, a bedroom or whatnot, that may have a bathroom nearby too, that you stay in that bedroom and, and let essentially what we say, let the symptoms declare what, it, what is going to be happening, right? So is it really COVID-19 or is it just the common cold, right? And that'll dictate, um, it'll be dictating, you know, how, how you feel over the next few days. So quarantine yourself for at least two to three days to figure out, is this COVID-19 or is this the common cold or the flu? Um, one of the things we've talked about in previous episodes is this incubation period with COVID-19. Um, it's, it's a longer incubation period than you see when we compare it to the flu. The flu has an incubation period of, you know, one to two, maybe three days. COVID-19 can be upwards to a week. So it's going to be um, a longer time to really develop these symptoms. Um, and during that time period, that virus is, the COVID-19 virus is replicating in you. And you could be spreading it to other people unbeknownst to you, really. So that's important that when the flu comes, it, it hits you really hard and quickly. So you know you're sick. So it causes a person to retreat very quickly um, and, and quarantine themselves stay at home, away from the office, away from family members very quickly. COVID-19 is not the case. And that's why we're seeing it spread so 
easily to a greater number of people. We talked about the are not. Um, how many healthy people does one infected person of COVID-19 spread to? And we're thinking that it's a little over two to three people. Whereas the flu, the r not value is a little over one. Uh, one infected person will infect one healthy person on average. And again, a lot of that has to do with um, the incubation period. So that's, that's one of these the big ways ourselves that we can help combat the spread of COVID-19, but also other um, illnesses too as well, right? So we need good hand hygiene, washing your hands for 20 seconds, getting a, a minimum of 20 seconds, getting a good lather over your entire um, back of the hands, the front of the hands, on the fingertips, in the, in the nails, uh, if you can. Um, and if you can't wash your hands, obviously hand sanitizer is a really good alternative. Now, we also talked about, um, you know, surfaces that, we've, we, that we touch frequently. And so we really want to make sure that we're sanitizing these surfaces too. So what do we touch quite a bit during the day? Well, firstly, our phones. Our phones, uh, you know, our cell phones now are, are literally a part of our bodies. They're attached to us. And so we touch our cell phone on average in an hour probably hundreds of times, you know, maybe more, depending on what you do on your phone and how um, integral the phone is in your life. So how do we sanitize our phones? Well, there are plenty of sanita sanitizer wipes available too, and hand sanitizers will work effectively on your, on your phones. And so when, do you, when should you sanitize and how often? Well, for myself, I sanitize my phone multiple times a day whether it be if I leave the house to go grocery shopping, um, I sanitize my phone, um, you know, before I enter the house. Um, during the day, I sanitize my phone multiple times, um, especially before I go to bed because I use my phone as my alarm in the morning too. So it's right by my bed. So typically I'd like to prevent any sort of virus, but especially COVID-19 from, from getting into the place where I spend the most time, as most humans spend the most time of their lives in, in, in their beds, right? We spend on average anywhere between six to eight, sometimes even longer hours per night in one place. So you want to protect that place. And sometimes that may be just to leave your phone outside of your bedroom too. Um, so your, your phone is really one of the biggest ways that, that and the biggest things that we touch during the day. Other things, what else do we touch? Well, at home, we touch quite frequently our doorknobs, our light switches, keyboards on our, on our um, computers, um, writing utensils, um, you know, all the way down to our keys that we use in our car, even though a lot of cars now are keyless or remoteless. Um, you know, these are items that we really have what we call a, a, an increased frequency of touching. And we do know that COVID-19 can live on these surfaces for, you know, at least a few hours, sometimes even longer. Before, again, we said in order for COVID-19 to live, it has to be within, um, you know, healthy cellular 
cells of organisms. So obviously keys and phones and all of these surfaces that we're talking about are not living organisms. We can all agree on that. So there is a time that COVID-19 will die on these um, frequently touched objects. But here's the thing, though. Let's say that somebody sneezes and COVID-19 spreads on, let's say, your phone, right? So COVID-19 can live on your phone for a certain amount of time period, whether it be a few hours or whatnot, right? And you're handling your phone or somebody else, like um, somebody else just grabs your phone or yourself, right? So you're handling your phone and or somebody else handles your phone with COVID-19 on it. Now, again, we talked about trying to limit your hands, touching of your mouth, your nose, your eyes. But sometimes, unbeknownst to us, we do it. It's very easy. I wear glasses, and if I need to adjust my glasses, I'm going to touch them, and I'm right near my eyes, too. And we know that the nose, the mouth, and the eyes are great surfaces that allow COVID-19 to enter our bodies and infect our cells. So if we don't sterilize these frequently touched objects like our phones, we have a higher risk of getting sick from COVID-19. So again, we need to clean these surfaces that are frequently touched. You can use any sort of sanita sanitary wipes um, that, that are, again, having some sort of alcohol-based cleaning. Um, there are other stronger cleaners that you see, um, you know, chlorhexidine and all these different compounds too that are really um, are, are what we call uh, virucidal. So they, they, they kill viruses. Um, so these are really great ways to, to, to kill COVID-19. So I think that's... A, a, a really good synopsis about the question of how do we prevent the spread of COVID-19? But one of the most important ways that we're preventing the spread of COVID-19 now um, is, is through our um, implementation of physical distancing. And it's also called social distancing, but I prefer to use physical distancing because quite frankly, during times like the COVID-19 pandemic, our social interactions are extremely important, especially as we start to isolate ourselves um, within our family units um, or our individual units of residence. We become more socially distant from people, naturally. But really, I think the term physical distancing would be more important because, quite frankly, again, as we talked about, if you're not near a patient or an individual who is having symptoms of COVID-19 or is during the incubation period where they're not exhibiting symptoms, but they're, the virus is actively replicating, um, they cannot spread COVID-19 to you if you're not near them. Why? Again, we talked about that COVID-19 is spread via large respiratory droplets. If you cough, if you sneeze, if you know, you have, you know, congestion or nasal discharge, which you call rhinorrhea. If we have all of these things that are 
um, you know, spread without around the immediate environment, that's going to put you at risk from transmitting COVID-19 to another person. So physical distancing is a very um, important, uh, important behavior to limit the spread of COVID-19. So what do we mean by physical distancing? Well, firstly, it implies that we should have a minimum amount of distance between you and another individual that's that you don't usually live around, right, on a routine basis. So what do we mean by that? Well, it doesn't mean that if you, you know, your family members within your dwelling or, or where you cohabitate with, that you should always remain six feet apart. Because if you're healthy and you're not exhibiting symptoms of COVID-19, then there's really no reason to do that because you are surrounded by these individuals that you share an immediate environment, whether it be sharing a, a bed with or sharing utensils with or the bathroom with. These are people who um, you share close proximity with and that if you're all healthy, there's no reason to be physically distant from these people. However, should you become sick, and we talked about this, um, you know, uh, briefly before, should you become sick within your household environment with a fever or sore throat or body aches or cough, that's when physical distancing should be really important because then you are preventing the possible spread of COVID-19 or other serious illnesses like the flu or, or other viruses um, to be spread. So that's why quarantining yourself or isolating yourself in another room or area of the house would be important. Well, let's get back to physical distancing because not only is it proximity of six feet, because we know that COVID-19, there is essentially a, a limit on how far these large respiratory droplets can spread if you sneeze, right? And what data has supported is that about a six feet radius is a really good distance to abide to where we know that if somebody sneezes or coughs that the COVID-19 virus is not going to go farther than six feet from the person, the individual that has actually um, um, spread the virus. So six feet. But in, there are other components of physical distancing. So firstly, trying to limit yourself to areas of congregation would be very helpful, right? So what are we talking? Well, the, uh, you know, sporting events, if you're going to churches, schools, these are areas that have a high concentration of human beings in a close proximity. So physical distancing in those areas would be very important. Now we've seen um, as we're, at the end of March of 2020, the entire world has literally shut down. You have shuttering, you have staying in place orders, you have sporting events that have been canceled. Churches are um, canceling, um, you know, their services and moving to more online platforms. These are ways that we can prevent the spread of COVID-19 because if you're in an area with a dense population, you have a really high chance of transmitting um, the disease. So, for example, there are reports now that there are some churches that still press on of having services um, inside their church. And if you 
go inside the church and you're sitting next to somebody that's less than six feet away and they cough or sneeze and they have COVID-19, the likelihood of you being infected if you're around them for longer than 10 minutes is very high. And you would be considered a close contact with that. You'd be considered a medium to high risk um, of, of contracting the disease. And we've seen different, um, you know, examples of this in the media too, where um, people who have attended churches um, and have violated, um, you know, these stay-at-home orders um, have these little clusters of COVID-19 um, cases within them. So this is why our our state and local and federal guidelines are suggesting that we still implement physical distancing. Um, President Trump just um, indicated recently that we should extend our physical distancing for another month until the end of April and then reassess. And so what is he, what, what President Trump and the coronavirus task force and all of these scientists are coming together is to figure out whether physical distancing is helping to quash the spread of COVID-19. So I'd like to talk to you more about um, the data and how this is working in terms of physical distancing. So we're, we're going to talk about the epidemic curve or now, which is a pandemic curve. And the pandemic curve, what you're seeing in, in mainstream media, people are asking, well, how do we flatten the curve? So let's first back up and talk about what the curve is and how we can understand physical distancing on a, on a worldwide basis is going to help help prevent the spread of COVID-19 and also most importantly, prevent our healthcare system from patients who are ex experiencing COVID-19 and also just helping others who need help during this time, during this pandemic, like patients who have heart attacks or strokes or different sort of conditions, treating cancer, um, because these, these things, these uh, human medical um, diseases still go on in a pandemic, a COVID-19 pandemic. So let's start out. So the, the, the curve itself is, is measuring the number of cases that we have of COVID-19. And if you look on the graph, the y-axis, which is the vertical axis, is the number of cases, right? So if you're lower on the number of cases, you're lower on the vertical axis. The x-axis, which is a horizontal axis, is essentially time. So as you move farther along to the right on the x-axis, you're going forward in time. So we do know that in the beginning, because coronavirus is a novel virus that we've never seen before, we don't have a vaccine, don't have medications, it has a long incubation period and can spread very easily from our respiratory droplets, we know at the beginning the number of cases is going to go up exponentially, very quickly, very steeply. So on that curve that we're looking at, that first high peak to the left, in this case, it's a red curve, 
if we don't implement protective measures like physical distancing, washing our hands, um, you know, not staying at home, congregating in big places, we know that the number of cases will be very high. That represents the high peak there that you see. So I do want to, I do want to just mention and to focus on this healthcare system capacity line. So basically, what is this representing? Well, this is a line that is the maximal capacity that our healthcare system can handle. So what do I mean by that? Well, let's say, for example, you have a disease that requires you, that you become very sick, that requires you to go to the emergency room. When you go to the emergency room, you have a respiratory disease, not COVID-19, but you have a respiratory disease that is making you very ill, that requires you to use a ventilator. And what a ventilator is, it essentially is a machine that helps, that sustains you to breathe while you cannot breathe for yourself. Understand that ventilators are very complex machines because your lungs are a very complex organ. And so to use this ventilator, we need very specific and specialized physicians like pulmonary and critical care specialists, respiratory therapists, nurses. We need a very um, specialized team to actually operate that ventilator to make sure that your lungs are, are getting the appropriate amount of air, pressure of air to help have your body heal itself so that eventually the goal is that you get better and that you don't need the ventilator to use to help you to breathe. So now going back to our example, if we have a number of cases that are going up exponentially on this red curve, this big peak, and we cross that healthcare system capacity, we are going to be in a lot of trouble. And how so? Well, let's say, for example, on an arbitrary date, let's say April 1st, you have one patient that goes into the emergency room that needs a ventilator. Okay, that person can get that ventilator because it's accessible. And let's say another person on April 1st has COVID-19, goes in, and needs the ventilator. Okay, there's two ventilators available at that specific hospital. We can do that. Now, let's say the next day, three people come in and need a ventilator. So within two days, you have a number of patients, so five now, needing ventilators. And that specific hospital only has a certain amount of ventilators. So you can imagine, let's say on April 3rd and April 4th, there are 20 people who come into that same hospital that need a ventilator. And then 40 people who come in to that same hospital and need a ventilator. So within a week, you have 60 people who come in and need a ventilator at that hospital. That's Unfortunately, that hospital may not have the number of ventilators available to give to these patients who need treatment. And so that's essentially what we're talking about is this healthcare system capacity. 
that's one example in terms of ventilators, right? We've reached the capacity of ventilators to, to use in a situation like a COVID-19 pandemic. So that is why we have to, what's called, flatten the curve. We need to flatten this curve so that it actually is below that healthcare system capacity. And how do we do this? We've known from other pandemics and different epidemiologists and infectious disease experts that if we implement aggressive physical distancing from people throughout large populations at a one time, we know that how quickly the virus is spreading to other populations will actually slow down. So the number of cases will go down um, on that curve. It'll flatten as that time on the x-axis continues. So this is what we're talking about, protective measures. And the best protective measure, and they've done um, studies on this, and, and I would like to reference um, you know, a great um, you know, interactive um, you know, a diagram through the Washington Post, and, and we'll put that graphic up there too as well. And it basically compares if you had no protective measures, how quickly a COVID-19 pandemic could spread. Now, there's new data to suggest that if we had no protective measures and we just lived our normal lives, the mortality rate of COVID-19 could be so high that an estimated 2 million people could die if we had no protective measures at all, which would be astronomical. Obviously, we have taken an aggressive stance um, on this by implementing, um, you know, physical distancing, mandatory physical distancing. And that has to do with um, shelter-in-place orders given by many, many individual states, us included here in Illinois. And so right now, we don't know, as of March 30th, how effective this shelter-in-place and physical distancing has done to flatten the curve. That data is coming out every day as we figure out how many new cases there are and as we increase testing, because increasing testing is going to be really, really important um, in this in this. Um, in this stage because we need to identify the number of new cases that we have and we also need to identify how many individuals have actually um, you know, uh, cleared the disease and have recovered. And we also need to know how many people have um, died from the disease because this is gonna help us determine the case fatality rate. So as we're talking about um, flattening the curve, we need to just understand this concept of, you know, containment versus mitigation. So containment we use early on, and we found that before a disease spreads into the general public, containing people who are infected. So that means isolating them in hospitals. So for COVID-19, it would be in these negative pressure rooms that control the ventilation um, and isolating them from their family members and the general public and letting them clear the virus and to recover prevents spread. 
However, once the disease becomes so, um, you know, uh, prevalent in the community and is spreading on a community-wide um, uh, basis, it becomes impossible to contain everybody. You could essentially try to have mass quarantines, but the data suggests that there will be um, areas where that quarantine will not work. And mass quarantines are very hard. How do you enforce it um, on a local and state level and on a federal level too? It becomes very difficult. So what we found is that after the containment process has, has, has gone by and essentially failed, we know that mitigation is the way that we need to slow the spread of this disease. So that's what we're in right now. We're in the mitigation phase. So again, we need to slow the spread of the disease. We need to expand testing so we know who's infected and who's not infected. And, and three, we need to reduce the surge in the healthcare use. Again, we've talked about that healthcare capacity line. We need to flatten the curve so we don't exceed the amount of healthcare capacity. Because if there are thousands of patients with COVID-19 with respiratory failure who need a ventilator, who can't get a ventilator, they will die. So that is why physical distancing is going to be one of our primary modalities to reduce or flatten that curve. So again, reviewing what we talked about. So we want to figure out COVID-19 is dangerous and why it's dangerous. We talked about our personal ways that we can really fight and kill COVID-19, and that really starts with good hand hygiene. Soap and water, 20 seconds, get a great lather, and wash it off. If you can't, then alcohol sanitizer is a great um, second option. Again, if you're using hand sanitizer, make sure you use plenty of it and that it covers your entire hands on the top and the bottom and around the fingernails. We want to sanitize things that we use all the time. What is that? Well, our phones, our um, doorknobs, our keys, um, our computer screen, our computer keyboards. Um, these are important ways that we can, we can kill the virus. Even though the virus does, lives on these surfaces, um, you know, for not more than a day or two, um, you know, it's still... a, a, a a place where it could actually um, get inside of our bodies very easily. Again, if you're coughing, cover your mouth. But more importantly, if you have a tissue there and you need to blow your nose or sneeze, blow into the you know blow into the tissue, discard the tissue, and then wash your hands. And if you are feeling sick, fever, sore throat, body aches, you need to stay at home. But even as these shelter-in-place orders are are implemented here, you need to. You need to isolate yourself within your home if you have a chance. Now, there are programs that if you don't have that opportunity or size to do that, there are hotels now uh, that um, are being um, set aside for isolating patients um, who believe they have symptoms or have tested positive and they can't stay at home. So again, um, check with your local and state um, officials uh, for um, possible hotels that could be used to isolate yourself. And then, most importantly, we talked about physical distancing. And, and this is really the best way that we can try to flatten this curve until we get treatments like a vaccine 
or different medications like antivirals that are going to help kill and, and protect us from COVID-19. So physical distancing, that means six feet um, at a minimum. Um, so when you're going to the grocery store, um, being six feet apart from, from somebody who's, who, who's around you. And if you're running outside, because again, this should be physical distancing, not social distancing. Socialing, you still need that interaction, right? But there are ways that we can do that. So firstly, running outside or walking outside or taking the kids outside, exercise is really great in this, in this time period we're in. But you want to make sure that you are six feet away from other people, especially let's say if you're running down the path so that you got that if you're running down and you have somebody coming towards you, that you move to the side and you let them have the right of way. Um, and if you're with your children too, that you're not playing with other children too. So th these are important um, aspects and how we're going to flatten the curve so that we can actually um, reduce the burden on our healthcare system. Because once we exceed the healthcare capacity line, that blue line that we talked about, we are going to be in a very perilous situation where we may not have ventilators, enough ventilators for patients who come into their hospitals. It, as a note, we are going to have to uh, make our way out of this pandemic. And what I mean by that is this. We will not have enough ventilators for patients unless we start making more ventilators. We do have reserves in our country However, given the rate and the number of infections right now, we know that if we don't flatten that curve soon enough, we will have exceeded our healthcare capacity. So in order to provide that line so that we can actually move that blue dotted line up, we're going to have to create more ventilators. And that's exactly what President Trump has authorized the um the Defense Act, in order to upscale the creation of ventilators. So that's going to be really important. We're going to need to be extremely creative to invent our way out of this. Um, there are lack of personal protective equipment out there. And how do we make more masks? Well, companies have to step up and make more masks. The advent of 3D printing. We can print, um, you know, new, possibly new face shields or even new testing equipment like so when you test for COVID-19, you have to do an oral swab or a nasal swab. These swabs are in really tight uh, supply right now. So we need to make more. And 3D printing could, could be another um, avenue of doing that. So we really need to invent our way out of this. In addition to our, our wonderful scientists, both on the, on the public and private side, coming together collectively to make a vaccine. There are many vaccine trials going on right now, but that's going to take time, as we said, 12 to 18 months. And in subsequent episodes um, coming up on the program, we're going to talk about uh, specific treatments, so vaccines and medications um, and different ways that we can protect ourselves too. So again, this is we're in the mitigation phase right now, and it's going to be a, a long phase. You saw that x-axis is time since the first case. And a lot of people don't understand that this time is not days, but we're talking weeks and months and even years on that x-axis that we need to understand that this is a marathon and that we're only in the first mile of the marathon. 
So I'm I'm optimistic that our physical distancing is is definitely contributing to flattening the curve, and I'm very very hopeful that we will not overburden our healthcare system capacity to critical levels, and that we can buy time so that if you are sick with COVID-19 and you're experiencing symptoms, that if you go into the hospital, that you will get the right level of care that you need, um, and whether that be a, a ventilator or that you need um, supportive care, um, just for a few short days, that you can get that care and that it's available to you. Um, I hope you've enjoyed episode two today. Um, we would really appreciate if you could um, give us any feedback or questions that you have. You could tweet us at Dr. Dave on call, um, email us at hello at Dr. Dave on call, and you can actually call us too. Uh, we have a phone number. Uh, it's a toll free number, 877-DR-DAVE-5, 877-DR-DAVE-5. Uh, give us a call. Leave us your questions and, and we can use them on the air or if you just have a comment uh, and would like to just uh, uh, let us know how you're feeling and how you're doing. Uh, we hope that everybody is staying safe and healthy out there. And remember, good hand hygiene. 20 seconds, soap and lather. Take care. We'll see you next time.